welcome to Fast Talk, the Velo News podcast and everything you need to know to ride like a pro. I mean, what a lot of people do is just say, okay, I've only got six hours, so I'm going to go do six high-intensity workouts, and we've already addressed nah. that that's not the nah, way to go. No, no, no. Look, it's any extreme is dangerous, and if you do that, you know, it <laughs> doesn't matter whether it's training, nutrition, religion, or whatever. You need you need the balance. You need a periodized training program, and you need periodized nutrition to support that. Welcome back to Fast Talk, the VeloNews Performance Podcast. I'm your co-host, Coach Trevor Connor, here with VeloNews Senior Editor Kaylee Fretz. Today we'll delve into part two of our series on how to structure your training. As we were just reminded by Dr. John Hawley, one of the preeminent researchers in exercise science, it's always about balance. In part one of this series, we covered the principles of a balanced training program, why you see the best results from a mix of intensity and slow training, and why there's such a thing as too much intensity from a physiological standpoint. We also touched on periodization, which is all about manipulating that balance of volume and intensity throughout your season in order to get your peak performance at the right times. In this part two episode, we'll take those principles from part one and talk about the execution. We'll explore ways to map out your week, your month, and touch on how to best execute both your intensity work and your long slow volume. And of course, for all of us with jobs and families, we'll talk about how to do this if you only have 6 to 10 hours to train each week. Dr. Hawley, who's also the head of the Exercise and Nutrition Research Group at Australian Catholic University, will help us along the way. And we'll also hear from former U.S. National Masters Champion Chris Phipps. Let's make you fast. Kayla, you tell me, now that you don't have the, the sort of time to train that you used to have, what have you found that works? I think works is relative. <laughs> I haven't seen, you know, I I haven't seen the power numbers of my racing days in a long time. Um, but that said, I, I am relatively close and have managed to, to ride relatively well, despite the work. I would say the highlight would be race Leadville a couple years ago after covering the Tour de France. I had a bike with me and was riding sort of an hour, hour and a half at a time um, and managed a pretty good ride at Leadville anyway. And for me, the key has always been get out for a big day when I can. I call it shock and awe training, where I just sort of try to shock my body into remembering what it feels like to ride for five hours. Uh, And I may only get to do that once a month or so. The rest of the time, you know, I don't do a lot of uh, focused training anymore, but if I was focusing on a race, I probably would. I would say my average week is, you know, a couple lunch rides. I hit the uh, the Thursday throwdown with the Panache guys here in Boulder and then try to get a big ride on the weekend. Am I on the right track? What you brought up there to me is part of, a really important part of the question of what are you trying to do with your fitness? There is a ton you can do with six to eight hours a week, especially if you say, I just want to do well at the local lunch ride or I want to race crits. If you're building up to doing a, a five-day large stage race and you're training six hours a week, you might want to rethink that. You're not really going to be able to build that form. But there is a lot that you can do. Hmm. So... What does all this mean? What should you be doing? Yeah, break this down for me. So give me, give me an average week. I think that would be most helpful. So I would start with mapping out your high-intensity work. Plan on two high-intensity sessions during the week. And they should not be back-to-back. So maybe you do one on Tuesday and one on Friday. Or one on Tuesday, one on Thursday. It's usually pretty popular to do the high-intensity work during the week because that's 
when you work and you might be stuck on a trainer for an hour or you might be stuck doing a lunchtime ride. So high intensity work is a great thing to do when I've only got an hour to get on the bike. Let's go out and do it. And a hard group ride or interval session or whatever, any of those work? I think hard group rides are great, but go out to ride them hard. I always tell my athletes, race smart on the weekends, race hard during the week. So if you go to a group ride, (laughs) don't sit in and save your energy till the end. Attack. Go in breakaways. Blow yourself up because that's more like the interval work and let the group motivate you. For those of us who work, that's a really great balance. Get the two interval sessions in a week. Don't do more than that. I watched this winter at this, uh, these trainer sessions I was doing in the morning. I watched some of the athletes, and I really admired their dedication, but they were coming in four days a week doing intervals every single morning. And again, what you were seeing is they were very rapidly burning out. By the time they got to my session, which was Thursday, they couldn't even finish it, and they weren't getting stronger. So two is right. You're actually going to see greater gains with less. And then... If you have the time, you still get that benefit from the long, slow volume. A lot of us on the weekends, we can get up a little early and go out and get that three, four, five-hour ride. And you get those three things, it's going to work out to about seven, eight hours a week, which is pretty manageable. You're going you're to hit that PGC alpha pathway from both the long, slow volume side and from the high-intensity side, and, and you're going to maximize the, the time. We caught up with Chris Phipps, who's a former Masters National Champion, and as a Masters National Champion, did so with a job. And so we asked him about how he maintained his training schedule with limited time. My volume isn't as much as a lot of guys, which is easy easy to compare on something like Strava. You look at all your competitions, yeah, this guy's training 20 hours a week, or this guy's doing 15 hours a week. But I generally try to hit 12 most of the time during the season, and I average like 10 hours a week during the whole year. You know, usually after work, it's just either an hour or 90 minutes most days and then get in a couple long rides in the weekend. But yeah, I think if you can get one four-hour-plus ride in, or, you know, say like two of those every three weeks, that's pretty good. And also with the longer daylight, like we can do that ride and then add on. The one weeknight, I'm out kind of long, you know, like two to three hours. So, you know, so it's intensity and a little more endurance. And then... Yeah, just you know, with more daylight, and I guess I usually just do like two, two longer nights during the week. Well, there's during base season, I'm pretty short every night during the week, but um, yeah, during the season, I try to get at least two hours twice a week. You know, and then do the longer stuff on the weekends. So, Trevor, we talked earlier about the polarized model and how it's being used by a lot of pros, but does it really work for your average cyclist or average amateur cyclist? Is it a, is it a model that we can apply to our own lives and training? Yeah, that's a good question. And certainly they've been showing in all endurance sports, your top definitely polarized their training. And they've even been showing that at amateurs, you, they seem to see greater gains with a more polarized model. That being said, when they looked at the individual sports, cycling was a little bit different. Cyclists actually do a little more of that in-between training, which we would call threshold training. So where runners and rowers would just do very high intensity or very long, slow, cyclists are actually going to do more of a a mix of about 77% low intensity, 15% threshold work, and only about 8% high intensity. Once they get into the season, the high intensity increases, the threshold comes down. In terms of 
what all this means and what the right balance is. Dr. Billet did a great study, and I'm sure I'm mispronouncing his name, where with runners where they looked at what's the best mix of the different types of training. What they found worked best was four slow workouts during the week, one high intensity, so that's above threshold, short interval work, and one threshold workout per week produced the best gains. When they actually increased that to where they were just doing two continuous training, what they were calling continuous training, or that, that slow running during the week, multiple high-intensity sessions per week, and one threshold workout, they saw absolutely no greater gains, but all the signs of burnout started to appear. And frankly, these athletes just wouldn't have been able to keep it up for more than a few weeks. So it's really keeping that that high-end work to two sessions per week is what keeps coming up. Dr. Holly had some thoughts to share with us on both polarized training and how much intensity work we really need. Steve's done some great work on the polarized training. And that if you look at the rowers and the cyclists and probably even the runners, you know, there's this huge volume of, uh, I mean, let's just call it steady state aerobic work. And, and it's peppered in between with very bits of high intensity or even super maximal intensity. And again, that seems to be what works for the athlete. I'm not sure you need to, to do intervals all year round. I'm not sure really how long you need to do intervals for you know if you want to get really really sharp my guess is you can probably do this in three to six weeks and if you look at a periodized training program but again most athletes don't aim for one event like the olympics they've got races throughout the year so it's quite different depending on the caliber of the athlete so if you want an example of how important this balance is and just how much you want to avoid doing too much high-intensity work, you can look at the gold medalists in the 4,000-meter pursuit at the, the 2000 Sydney Olympics. They actually did a study on them, and it was amazing how they built up to that race, the riders on this German team. And it, wouldn't be, it wasn't what you would think. They actually did very, very high volume in the seven months building up. A lot of them were pros and were actually doing grand tours as a build-up to these Olympics. And it was only in the final eight days before the Olympics that they started doing very specific, on-the-track, high-intensity work to get ready for the Olympics, and they won the gold medal. So what exactly do you mean by, by high-intensity work? I mean, that could be a lot of different things. Yeah, and there there's a lot of different ways to do it. But typically what we're thinking about with high-intensity work and where you see some of the biggest gains is these very short intervals, like 15-second intervals, 20-second intervals, or, or one minute, 40-second, but typically a short interval with also a short recovery. Uh, you think of the Tabata-style intervals, which is 20 seconds going all out, then a 10-second recovery, then another 20 seconds going all out, and you keep repeating that for four or five minutes. So that's... till you puke. till you puke. <laughs> you could also do sprint-type work. And, and that sort of interval work is where you see some of the biggest gains. But there's actually another type of interval work that a lot of coaches and physiologists I've spoken to talk about threshold work, where you train just sub-threshold. Some coaches feel that's kind of the poor man's volume ride. If you can't go out and get a five-hour ride go out and do some 20-minute intervals at just sub-threshold, like 95% of threshold, that that can compensate a little bit for volume. Not sure where I stand on that, but I will admit to you with a lot of athletes who don't have a ton of time, when we're really focused on building that endurance and, and I feel the, the volume is a little more important, I will mix in threshold work. 
So we know what that intensity, those intensity rides look like. They're a hard group ride or an interval session or whatever. What exactly does the the big long weekend ride look like? So let's just, just for the sake of argument, you know, my threshold's 300 watts. What am I watching on my power meter for three and a half, four hours? This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. So that's that also depends on where you're at in the season. So when you're in the base, that ride should be going talking pace. And again, that's actually one where I've really struggled uh, with some of the the riders I'm working with who only or you know they have full time jobs and only have six to eight hours. I'll go out and ride with them on the Saturday, and I'm the one sitting there yelling, "Slow down! You're killing me!" You go out in January and they're trying to put out 240 watts for four hours. When I say it's slow, it is slow. So, for example. If your threshold was 300 watts, you should be going out in January and February at 150, 160 watts. Mm. So we're talking, you get same thing, heart rate. If your threshold heart rate was 170 or let's say your max heart rate's in the 180s, 190s, we're talking riding at about a 130 heart rate. Gotcha. But as you get closer to the season, especially as you get into the season, you start racing, that's where you can start upping the intensity a little bit. And especially as you start getting close to the race season, Go out and do the group rides. Hmm. Go out and get for your long ride a little more intensity in it where you're more in that sweet spot zone. That gives you that race specificity. So you aren't suddenly going from riding four hours at 160 watts to trying to hang on at Mm -hmm. 240, 250 watts. So that really depends on the time of the year. We asked Dr. Hawley about the benefits of long rides, how frequently we really need them, and if it's possible to compensate for long rides if you simply don't have the time. Now, look, there's certainly in any, I guess, in any sort of seven to 10 day period, I'd always put one, you know, long, longish ride or longish running. And if you go out, the longer you go, the more you tend towards free fatty acid oxidation. But, but again, you've got to remember that unless you're doing a five hour ride, race at that pace it doesn't necessarily help racing all it does is build up extra capillaries again it gets the muscle used to using fat and turning on beta oxidation and all these you know adaptations of the muscle which you know about so yes that there is a point to that but again when i send you the articles you'll see that if it's a race situation at the end of the day even if it's a three-hour race it's carbohydrate dependent and not fat dependent having said that having the ability to utilize fat at the highest rates possible uh, is an advantage uh, in in long endurance events but again the goals of the person and the race in mind so the answer to your question is i i would think every seven to ten days there should be one very long ride in there absolutely and again depending on the ability level of the person that might be two hours for someone it might be five or six for you know someone who's been in the sport a lot longer the great New Zealand coach, Arthur Lydiard, you know, coached uh, probably half a dozen Olympic gold medalists. He'd even have runners like Peter Snell, who won the 800 and 1500, doing very long Sunday morning runs, sometimes up to 20 miles. And Snell, if you talk to him now, I know Peter reasonably well, he'd say, look, I'm not, not quite sure why I was doing it at the time. But now, you know, he's an exercise physiologist at Southwestern Texas. And he said, look, you know, now I know the physiology behind this. 
the other thing that the rides do is go through the whole fiber population if you just go out and ride for an hour yeah you'll tap into some slow twitch fibers and you do this and you do that but by going along and almost going to exhaustion at that submaximal pace you are then asking the muscles to recruit the slow twitch fibers the fast twitch a and the fast twitch b and unless you do very high intensity intervals i don't think you do that so you've got two ways of tapping into that fiber population either go long and slow to exhaustion or, or basically you know do high intensity and wipe them all out anyway so i think another advantage of the long long ride uh, is to is to get all the fibers active and at the end of those rides you know you're calling on fibers like the two a's and two b's which aren't that used or aren't that good to do in that endurance and i think that's an important thing as well to to make sure that all the all the fiber population has been recruited and has that potential to to use as much fat as it actually can the 2b fiber isn't very good at that but um use use everything you've got type thing and that's another reason for doing a long ride we often do rides to exhaustion in the lab and they're fine for the first hour you get to the second hour it gets a bit tougher and you get to the third hour the workload hasn't changed but of course the fiber recruitment has and 2b fibers don't like working at 250 watts they prefer working at 550 for 30 seconds so it's a really hard ask of the muscle but only by using the muscle and driving it to that point do you actually recruit it so i think it's a vital reason and yeah you've already hit on it but most people forget that and and i think that's a very important reason in fact i put that right up there as with with fat burning the recruitment pattern is vital do you think they can produce a lot of the gains if they simply don't have the time for a longer ride or is there just no way to substitute yeah. for the long ride i think i think that's a great question because again most people are asking for the minimum that they can do rather than the maximum they can right. do and I, look you may not on an hour and a half training hit a hundred percent of your genetic potential but you'll be you know you'll be 94 95 percent close so i'm a case in point i you know i was competitive i don't have four or five hours to train now I have an hour or an hour and a half at the most. So I have to make it work. And, you know, a typical session is 40, 40 minute warm up on the bike and then 10 times one minute as flat out as I can with a minute recovery. And I know when I go overseas, I've just been, you know, for another 10 days, I come back and providing I can maintain the intensity while I'm overseas, I come back and I'm pleasantly surprised. So, uh, again, I think you can I think you can get good bang for the buck. Another big mistake that I often see athletes makes is, is to do the same thing every single week. Our bodies are really good at adapting to whatever we throw at them. And once our bodies get used to something, they go, well, why am I going to adapt anymore? I can handle this. So you'll see initial gains, but if you're doing the same two interval sessions and long ride every week, you're going to plateau very rapidly. So you need to have weeks where you really beat yourself up. And, And this is where you can see some of your biggest gains and it actually, I find it really works well with the athletes that I have that, that have a family and have full-time jobs. So most of the weeks, we just say, let's get done what you can get done. If you can only train five, six hours per week, that's fine. But what I ask for is about once a month, every four or five weeks, I, I want you to find three, four days in a row where you tell the family, sorry, you're not going to see much of me. You You find the time with work, and you go out and you do some good volume and some good intensity. So I'll start with uh, like a good format that'll give somebody as Thursday we'll do intervals uh, because you still have to go to work. And, and for pretty strong athletes, I might do intervals again on Friday. Then Saturday, do a long, easy ride of four hours. And then Sunday, go and hit the group ride 
explode, keep riding, get five hours in. And by the end of that week, and there's a lot of different ways to balance it, but by the end of that, that Sunday, you want to be limping home and saying, I'm pretty tired. And then the following week, you start by taking two, three days off. Another couple days of riding easy, you let all that work you did sink in and you're going to come out of it at a higher level. And then you could have a few more weeks of just normal training. So it's a mini training camp, basically. Right. So I think it's pretty clear that I've been doing it all wrong. I think that's the most clear thing from the last 20 minutes of conversation. But relatively easy changes to make, I think. And and I will certainly be adjusting my my weekly training to fit what we were talking about today. And I, and I think we can sum up the takeaways pretty quickly, right? I mean, balance is the key, both on a micro scale and a macro scale. So both within a, within a week and within a month and within your whole season. Run me through what that week and month should really look like in you know, one or two sentences. So if I had to summarize all this, it's yes, intensity can compensate for volume to a degree. But when it comes to intensity, more is not better. Two intensity sessions per week is ideal. Getting one long ride in per week really adds to those gains. And it's trying to balance everything. It's trying to balance it all together. And then in terms of your month, making sure you don't do the same thing week in, week out. Have that periodic week where you beat yourself up a little more. And then just as importantly, have the week after where you recover. The even more important question to agree is, what are you looking to do? Are you looking to really get stronger? Or are you just looking to have some fun? Because if you're just trying to have some fun, go and hit all the lunchtime rides. Go and hit the weekend ride. It might not necessarily always be the best training, but if you're enjoying it, what are you out there for? Well, that's Fast Talk. We're going to wrap up for the day. Thanks for tuning in. And we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.